We're back with Empires of the Future. And I want to start by asking you a question, Denton. Yeah, let me have it. What, what good has happened to you in the last couple weeks? We haven't had a podcast in a couple weeks. Uh, what, what's happened in your life the last couple weeks? Oh, man, I wish I would have been prepared for this question. I just, I don't know. Uh, well, I'll tell you one good thing that's happened to me this past couple weeks. You know, it's been really hot around here. Yes. And that's kind of a, kind of a lousy thing in a lot of ways. Um, but it's also been really dry. And all of my grass has, like, died. Pretty well, at, at least, been completely stunted in its growth, growth. And I have not had to mow my grass in, uh, like, two weeks now. And I don't plan on mowing this week. Right. And this is, for anybody who's not from the Midwest uh, of the United States, uh, you know, it, uh, people always talk about, well, we definitely have seasons here. Uh, boy, do we. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's been the best thing. Um, I like not having to mow my grass. Right. Because I don't like mowing my grass. Right. Because right now, if you mow your yard, you're going to come in uh, looking like you just ran a marathon yeah. because you're going to be sweating so much. Yeah. You know, we had, uh, we celebrated 4th of July with my wife and her family. And, um, we had already kind of finished up most of the festivities for the day and we had gotten the boys baths. We were getting ready to go home and Elijah just wanted to go fish like a little bit more. So his, uh, his granddad took him over to the dock and, and, uh, they sat down and fished for maybe 15 minutes, maybe. Mm -hmm. And he comes back and it literally looked like he had fallen into the lake. Right. He, his hair was just completely soaked. His face was all red. It was running down his face. So I thought, oh, you poor thing. It has just been that hot. Uh, which has been a negative thing in a lot of ways, but one positive that has come from it is the the heat and the lack of rain. Haven't had to mow grass, and I right. I enjoy that. But um, Jackson, what what good has happened to you over the past couple of weeks? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, one thing is I got to perform a wedding uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was really great. Um, Encouragement to everybody as far as um, this time when marriage is kind of one of those confused things, you know, look, the the Bible has a lot of good things to say about what Christian marriage is. And and to be able to talk about, you know, like, look, love is sacrifice. We, t we, we live in a time when people walk around kind of going, man, how will I know? I mean, the wonderful Whitney Houston said, how will I know if he really loves me? Well, you can know. If he's willing to sacrifice for you, then he loves you. Because in the Bible, the definition is objective. Mm -hmm. And if this person is not willing to sacrifice for you, they don't love you. Uh, love is not some sort of like evasive sort of feeling that you got to go, wow, oh, what if it's there today and not tomorrow? What does it mean? Well, it doesn't mean a lot. What you should do is act as if you do love someone. Yeah. And even a further teaching is, hey, the feeling will probably come along. It, yeah. Don't base your life around feelings yeah. in that way, base them on uh, commitment. And and so it was a great time just talking yeah. about uh, what you see there in Ephesians 5 and in the context of knowing what love is, then you can know what submission is, and yeah. uh, you can know what uh, a marriage that will last can actually look like, you know. And so uh, really great experience. And then the other thing to say is that it was indoors oh, at a golf course. Praise God. And so it was also not blazing hot yeah. like it is, and that's good too. Good. Out of Cambridge? Uh, no, way north of town, uh, okay. north of uh, North High School, actually. So okay. way out there. Yep. Way, way out there. Cool. Very cool. Well, what are we talking about today, Jackson? So this is a, we're going to do a series here, and this is something that we've been talking about for a while, you and I, and now that uh, the listeners can hear about it, and that is that we, we want to take a break from 
kind of doing article coverage for a while and really go a little deeper um, and cover some books. And what this will mean is um, we're not going to try to summarize a book in one sitting. Um, uh, for instance, uh, for this book that we're going to work on Strange New World by Carl Truman, which is a, a pretty new book, uh, actually. Um, and it probably uh, about four sessions, I'd say it'll take us to get through this, if not maybe uh, a little more. Uh, but we want to look at some books that are very meaningful, that matter to what we're dealing with today. And uh, I'm excited about it. You know, you and I have been talking about this for a while. Um, we've had some good uh, articles that we've focused on, but I don't want us to only be dealing with kind of like things that pop up. Uh, yeah. Part of what, I, what we've got to do is, is focus on and pick things that last and matter in the long run. And certainly I, I think this does. Uh, so again, Strange New World by Carl Truman. And where did we get this book, Din? We both got this book for free from Together for the Gospel. Right. Um, the last word. It was actually the last Together for the Gospel. So yep. uh, this was one of the one of the books that they hand out that's included with your purchase of admission. So um, I remember picking this book up. And of all the books that we got, this was one I was like, I'm probably never going to read that one. <laughs> but then you, Jackson, were like, no, 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 that looks like a really good one. And and uh, once I opened it up and started to kind of um, look into it, I thought, yeah, it's, it's a good book. Well, good deal. Um, so what is this book about? This book is about contemporary trends, but it's about how the roots of those trends have been building uh, for literally hundreds of years. And that's, um, that's interesting to me. I'm always interested in, well... Uh, reasoning for decisions. I'm especially interested in things like this where you kind of go, you know, look, you've been influenced by a whole lot of people and I want to know who that is. Uh, I, I want to know who has been influential in, in my life and who has been influential in, say, my parents' lives and the lives of other people around me um, because opinions don't come from nowhere. <laughs> right. Opinions come from somewhere. And this is a helpful book from the standpoint of, okay, a lot of the changes that we're seeing right now, well, they started somewhere, uh, and they were formed in the minds of people at yeah. some point in the past. Uh, but who are those people? And, and really, it's even worthwhile to me to go, but what, and what are those ideas specifically? What exactly is sort of the hinge uh, where we're going from A to B? And, uh, and so in terms of like, uh, individualism and, and in terms of uh, what matters in terms of like how do we prioritize things in our life that is uh, what this book is about and so uh, I look forward to getting into it um, this is this book uh, called Strange New World by Carl Truman and that's uh, T-R-U-E-M-A-N mm -hmm. uh, various ways to spell Truman um, this is a sort of popular version or a shorter version of a big book uh, that he wrote called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to Sexual Revolution. So that's a longer, more academic work that's, uh, I believe, over 400 pages that he wrote. Uh, meanwhile, this book is what? Oh, just guessing off the top of my head, I would say this book is roughly 188 pages. Right. <laughs> Good guess. Thank you. And, um, and so definitely more approachable. Um, 
and he says himself, look, you know, I want to introduce this. Uh, and if you want more, that would be a place to go. And, I, and it's important for us to say that we intend to introduce the book, which is an introduction to even the larger work, which mm-hmm. is The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think that's a good explanation of uh, kind of what the book is and what it accomplishes. The, the subtitle of the book, Strange New World, that we're looking at is How Thinkers and Activists refined identity or redefined identity and sparked the sexual revolution. So that gives you a pretty good framework as far as like uh, the road ahead and kind of what we're looking at. Uh, There's, there's more ins and outs of what kind of is discussed in the book. But um, I think the, the main thrust of the book is pretty well summarized in, um, in the foreword, which was written by who wrote the foreword. Let me see here. Ryan Anderson wrote the foreword. And uh, I don't know who that is, but uh, he wrote the foreword, and he said, at the risk of oversimplifying what Truman accomplishes, I would summarize the broad arc of his work as an account of how the person became a self, the self became sexualized, and sex became politicized. Um, That's a a pretty, um, I think, clear kind of laying out of what he does in the book. And we're beginning to see, even in chapter one, which we're going to talk about today a little bit more... um, you begin to see that forming and he lays the foundation for what is the self and, uh, and how did we move from discussion on self to the sexual revolution? We'll get into all that. Right. So if you take it as a given that, um, what you should do with your life is sort of ask yourself a lot of questions about your own fulfillment, about, uh, what you really want uh, and, and especially if you want to ask those questions to the exclusion of any relationship in your life, to the exclusion of any commitments, if if something like loyalty uh, doesn't make sense in a certain framework that you've been given, then what we want to do here in looking at this book, I mean, it's come to be uh, expressed so often in popular media that, well, only you know who you are and you have to express mm. yourself no matter what. Yeah. And that basically then the duty of everyone else in your life is just to yield and say, okay, whatever you are, then I obviously can't say anything different. Uh, well, look, that's a new notion and one that's gained in popularity, say in the last 60 years, so much so that it's, almost unquestioned now. Mm-hmm. But what this book is about is to go, okay, but how did that happen? And are we sure that we shouldn't question that at all? As, as a person who grew up in the 80s, uh, I can tell you that these sort of ideas are laced in so many of the movies that I watched, uh, even in uh, a lot of the books that we read, say, in uh, junior high or high school. And these things should be examined. And, and so there's two courses that uh, we're going to take on this. And I find both very interesting. The, the first course is the one that we just talked about, which is basically like the pop culture course. A lot of these ideas are coming to us from movies that we are sort of just taking in uh, as we go on in life. We're sort of, uh, it, is, it has been hilarious to me. Um, people watch movies differently. You know what I mean? Um, I, I don't know what you mean. What do you mean? <laughs> I, I like to watch movies uh, 
that you can then sort of talk about and think about. Um, for instance, probably if you were to push me on my favorite um, sort of like TV show of all time, it would be Star Trek The Next Generation, both because I am a certain age, but also because every episode, especially every good episode, is batting around a sort of common question, uh, and but not in a way as to say... Um, as to say, obviously, we all know the answer. So, for instance, uh, an episode might be about, okay, what is the line between the duty we have to our family versus the duty we have to our friends mm-hmm. or something like this? And each episode is, is about something like that, mm-hmm. and it's never, it's rarely ever a, well, obviously, this is what everybody should do. Most of the time, what you have is, look, this is complicated. This yeah. is hard in life, and we're all often having to walk some middle line based upon all kinds of circumstances. And then sometimes the decision is just yanked away from us at the last second. And that's a lot of what we deal with. And I really like uh, that. That is just sort of a template for the kind of TV show and movie that I really like. I I love to, to watch it and then have something to talk about after it. Yeah. But but then a lot of people, for a lot of people, movies are just something where you kind of go, well, I'm not, I don't want to think about anything. I just want it to happen and I want to be here. And then when it's over, I kind of go, ah, yeah. And, and that's, I mean, I, this is not meant to be a way to say this is how you have to watch movies, but it is, uh, we are going to examine a lot of the ideas present in sure. pop culture. And yeah. that's one of the streams uh, that we have. What were you going to say? Yeah, I think one of the most popular, um, if I'm not mistaken, one of the most popular Star Trek Next Generation episodes um, was one called The Measure of a Man. Oh, you yeah. Remember that one? Yeah. So that was the one where, um, where, um, Commander Data. First, yeah, Commander Data and as a, there's first mate Riker, Commander Riker. First um, officer, yeah. Who's the first officer? That's right. That's right. Uh, he's the first officer. Um, this situation arises where the question of whether or not Data is a person uh, comes up for debate, and it basically comes to some sort of like military tribunal. And because mm-hmm. they're kind of out in space, um, there has to come someone has to bring a uh, a case against uh, the defend the case of the Federation. Uh, which was wanting to, I think, disassemble data, study him, you know, try to make copies of him, and make stuff copies like that. of him. Yep. Yeah, and uh, and it was up to Commander Riker, who is a friend of Data's, who's an android. Um, it's up to him to write, like, um, explain and demonstrate and prove that Data is not a person, even though he's his friend, right. and uh, and he takes on that task. And it's just a really there's a lot of moral quandaries, even in that one episode. Right. It's kind of like, well, what is personhood what does it mean to be a man what is the measure of a man and at one point he like takes off data's arm and it's like kind of you know seems to be just really terrible evidence for the for the defense of data as a person and things like that so anyway yeah a lot of the episodes are like that though yeah that's one example of many where it's like there's moral dilemmas there's things that make you think there's um, gray moral gray areas that are that are constantly being kind of exposed and, and time spent in those or at least attempted to right. to feel those out. So yeah, I agree with you. I tend to be one of those people that just watches movies and it's like, oh, cool movie, yeah. Um, but I enjoy one that will get me thinking and mm-hmm. allows for conversation and discussion. That makes for I think a more uh, long lasting satisfaction with a movie. And I think it, I think that's what gives movies rewatchability. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and so uh, 
that whole line of thinking is almost endless as far as how many ideas are out there that are being kind of uh, carried through movies. Um, but then the other sort of easier to trace uh, kind of road through which ideas go out is uh, through in universities, through research, uh, through scholars. And then, uh, you know, Ryan Anderson, for instance, mentions that uh, the people that are really on kind of the forefront of this analysis right now are, are men like Charles Taylor, Philip Reef, and Alistair McIntyre. And then they are analyzing sort of key players from the last few hundred years of history whose ideas arise in certain schools are then kind of, uh, well, for instance, a guy like uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who has the idea of, say, a noble savage. Well, then what happens in educational institutions is that there's a, a group of people who come along behind a Rousseau who like his ideas and then begin to communicate his ideas and popularize his ideas. Um, and then from there, those ideas arrive uh, on the doorstep, basically, of book writers, of movie makers, and then they are further popularized, which is how they arrive at us, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so the big names that are mentioned here are, in addition to Rousseau, uh, Frederick Nietzsche, Karl Marx, Charles Darwin, uh, Charles Darwin, excuse me, Percy Bysshe Shelley, and William Blake. Um, and they lead to a very important term, and one that... I, I, <laughs> Carl Truman says it's a weird term, and I agree. It's a weird term, uh, a social imaginary. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like uh, he means kind of a social imagination, but it's a specialized term that we should go ahead and define. What did you put together about what a social imaginary is? Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot. Yes, so I, I, I did find it to be a strange term, but the way I understood when he was describing what the term is is it's, uh, it's essentially the way in which we um, are taking what we have kind of the, the place we live, the um, social constructs, constructs around us, and basically formulate what it looks like to live as ourselves right. in that setting. Right. Uh, so this is the, the social imaginary. Um, and he, he kind of talks about how um, in many cases it, uh, it is sort of theoretical, uh, but for most human beings, the point is that it moved from the the theoretical, which would be, you know, proposed by, you know, all of these philosophers to what it looks like playing out practically. Right. Um, and which is more of kind of what you get from movies and television. Right. It, it seems to me that it's like an answer to a question. Okay. What are people there for? Mm -hmm. And so then since we are limited little things, uh, we don't have objective knowledge. You then sort of are coming up with your own answer to the question. What are people there for? Yeah. And, your social imaginary is what you kind of have decided, even if it's sort of just a running definition of what you think people are there for. And this, I don't know if that strikes anyone as, uh, it, it is a funny way to phrase it, but it is a fact that you have some idea that, of what you think people are for in your life. Um, and it's worth thinking about because one of the things that's changed pretty dramatically is in the past, if, if people are viewed as created in the image of God and therefore of innate worth and just as 
valid, uh, they matter just as much as I do, well, then that leads to a certain set of conclusions that basically I should respect people, that there's a project, that we should all figure out what we're going to do, given that we have one earth or, you know, we share a living space and, and a whole set of kind of conclusions. But then if, if life is just an answer to a question of, well, how can I get what I want? Well, then people can just be nothing but a, a hindrance to me getting what I want. Yeah. And, I, and I do think it's really important to throw out the, those kind of two ends of the spectrum and two really different answers to the question because basically one of the things being said in this book is that, look, in, in a world that is, um, that is based in the Bible, what you have is people are a special creation of God. Not only that, made in his image, therefore having worth, which means you can't just hurt someone if you feel like it, right. which means you have to ask a lot of questions about how am I going to live in this world? What if I will answer to God? Um, and look, I, I, I know not everyone will become a Christian, but this is the thing. If you don't agree to that, then you have a very important question to answer is, what are people then? Mm -hmm. What are people for? Um, and it's, it's a really important question because if your answer is, well, uh, oftentimes they're just a hindrance to my life or they're getting in my way. Well then, okay, but what do you do about that then? Um, because, uh, you mentioned this, this idea of how a person became a self mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I'm sitting there and I'm kind of going, I, what is the difference between a person and a self? It especially becomes clear when they, they use their terminology of an unencumbered self. Mm -hmm. It's one of those weird things that it's like, look, I would never have come up with that phrase but I grew up around and I was a, an unencumbered self, a person who viewed himself as going, I have a lot of things that I want, but the problem is people aren't giving them to me. And that is viewing people as a means to my ends. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. I mean, yeah. that, that is a part of uh, the problem and, and the issue that we're running into in our world is if you don't value people for themselves, well, then you're going to value them, value them for what they can do for you or for some other ends. Um, and so that's where we start. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. He starts by kind of getting to a definition of as far as what is the self. And, um, and he, he points out that I'm not, he says, I'm not talking like about self as in, uh, the most common sense understanding of the word, like, well, I am myself, you know? Well, yeah, right. But like, then when you begin to think deeper about your self, um, how does that definition begin to form? And when you begin to think more about like, who am I? How do I come to these kind of conclusions? Um, what does it mean to live as myself? Um, you can even kind of hear as I say that question, hear common sort of like philosophical questions that are that are addressed in, um, in various classrooms and textbooks and things like that. Uh, but he, he kind of proposes two different ways of, coming to an understanding as far as what shapes uh, the self. And it, it largely, he all kind of says two main ways to sort of understand yourself. One is exterior. Uh, so your self is defined by those around you and your um, kind of obligation or, or duty to kind of care for those, look out for those, work alongside those, a sort of communal aspect of the self. Um, in, in different kinds of ways. And then a, an alternative understanding of how to come to a definition of the self is finding it 
inwardly and then after coming to a conclusion there, then applying that outwardly to those around you, uh, to your community and this right. and that. And then they become um, a means to an end, a means of, of you understanding and living out yourself um, in that sense. And so you can see that there, this question of the self and how you answer that question, who, who is my self, already you can see how that leads to very different um, ways of relating to the world around you. If you find your self-identity um, purely within yourself, looking only within, um, then you're probably going to well, be, be very selfish, right? And you're going to, uh, to view the world around you in a very different light than if you use as at least a part of your starting point um, looking at the world around you as a means to help you understand yourself. Right. So now that's not an all-encompassing, this is the one thing everyone's doing wrong, start looking at the world around you to define yourself. Well, you might still come up with some problems there, and yeah. you and I being pastors would <laughs> see a problem with that line of thinking too. But at the very least, we can see that asking this question, starting with this point of the self, begins to shape how this whole argument and how this um, flow of thought is going to go. Right. So the, the first Christian answer to who am I is, well, you're going to need to ask God. Uh, God knows who you are, right. actually. And then further, well, yeah, but God seems to be evasive sometimes. You know, my Bible doesn't tell me exactly where I should work or what I, you know, who I should marry. A lot of these major decisions and important things in my life are not plainly there. Well, that's true. But if God is the first person that we seek to conform ourselves to further, he gives us people in our life who do really love us mm -hmm. and want good for us. Uh, if you have parents who did that for you, be thankful and, and they would be a great start. But then for that reason, God gives family, he gives friends, and he, he, we are driven to attach ourselves to people who we can perceive truly do love us. Um, and so if we know that love is sacrifice, we can then sort out who in my life is more trustworthy and who is less. Um, but then what is strange about this is that it is considered such like a truism now. It's, it's just so accepted that, well, that, well, whatever you do, you better be true to yourself. <laughs> that, that there's not even questions about what does that even mean? Right. What, right. What does that statement mean? That's a statement that's just, I think, flippantly thrown around today. Oh, be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. We, I hear people in the church, you know, even saying this kinds of thing. Right. And well, yeah, the question is, what, what are you even saying? Do you know what you're saying? Do you understand, you know, what you mean when you say the self? Because most people haven't thought about that. Right. And if you were seeking wisdom, you would notice that it, it, kind of the most common interpretation of that, which is, well, I want to do what I feel like doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. How has that turned out for you in your life? Have you never had regrets based upon your feelings? Have you never had different feelings the next day or even the next hour? Yes, we all have. So then we need more than feelings to go on, but that is, uh, not that examination is not common. Uh, kind of what I've seen for years and years and years is sort of a, an unchallenged notion of be true to yourself as if, and, and there's even uh, the quote from Shakespeare above all else, be true to yourself. And that's, that's from the mouth of a character that you're not supposed to follow in Shakespeare. <laughs> I mean, it is proof that this is an unexamined notion. Um, and most of the people you probably heard quote that don't read Shakespeare anyway. So no, it's just no. one of those deals that it, that is out there. It, it, listen, I mean, and, and part of this is that we can, these questions 
are clearer when you actually draw them out and just pose it. Okay, is the inner life a source of truth? Is what's going on inside? Are you sure that that is just an just a certain reliable way to get to real good objective decisions? And I don't think so. No, I don't uh, think so. And 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 I think if we actually examined it, most of us would come to a pretty honest conclusion like no my feelings change they're unpredictable i don't know where they're going a lot of the time and it's a concern okay but then maybe we should go further and so uh, i appreciate uh, this as a start because it is a dramatic change that that according to the bible a man is a creature of god who should seek to conform himself to the truth mm-hmm. to objective moral standards and, and the pursuit of eternal life. And this was, in fact, a, as Christianity in the West in particular has become a part of the culture, that's why you have things like human rights. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is why that notion has spread throughout the Western world. And this is, this is what is meant by uh, this extra title of the rise and triumph of the modern self, cultural amnesia that this is exactly, literally, this is exactly where these notions came from. The notion that each person should have rights, that you can't hurt me just because you feel like it, that we should have freedom of speech, that we should have freedom of religion. This is, if if you base this just in humanism, there's just no reason to go in the public square, everybody should be able to talk. It's not there in humanism, but it is there. If every person has dignity because they're made in the image of God, then these things are present. They follow. But if there is no such thing as dignity, then these things do not follow. Right. And so that's what's meant by uh, cultural amnesia, because if a person is not a creature of God, then we're going to need to define ourselves. And this is where a lot of people live now, yeah. going, you know, like the, the replacement for a pastor or a minister of some kind is is in some cases a therapist Mm -hmm. who helps you to find yourself well look there are there are places where somebody like a psychiatrist a person who specializes in chemical addictions or specializes in chemical imbalance can be of great help but if you're talking about the answer to the question should i self-determine what matters and what my life should be, or should I conform myself to an outside standard? That's above the pay grade of any psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist. But meanwhile, this question is assumed, and it is one of the most important foundational questions we can ask. Am I a creature who should look for meaning outside, or am I the kind of being who should make up my meaning from the inside. Mm-hmm. And obviously both of us would say, no, you're a creature made in the image of God. So you should look first to him and then for the community that he gives you in how to sort that out, find your identity mm-hmm. and community. And so that's a hugely important, hugely important notion. And one that uh, I look at this book, I consider this book really valuable because most people have adopted without thinking, or at least are sort of, falling between these two notions without much thinking. Um, But they are two very different ideas, two very different sets of ideas. Yep, that's exactly right. It's kind of like if I ever uh, create something um, and someone asks, what is it? 
or, or what are you talking to the thing I've created? That's a really foolish thing to do. If right. you want to find out what the thing is I've created and an explanation of it, come to the person who created it, right? Because uh, they'll be able to explain it to you and tell you. If you are simply trying to deduce for yourself or from the thing created, um, you're never going to really be have a trustworthy answer when you could just go to the creator and then find out, okay, this is, uh, this is what this thing is and why it was created. Right. Um, so same thing is true of us. You know, we were created. Um, and if we want to understand ourself and our purpose, uh, in this life, there's no better place to go than to the one who created us. And he is able to tell us exactly who we are and what we were created for. And, and the answer is, uh, that we were created for his glory. Right. So, but that requires then a different view of self than what we primarily find in the world today. The, we find a view of self in the world today, as he says in the book, the modern self assumes the authority of inner feelings and sees authenticity as defined by the ability to give social, ex social expression to the same. The modern self also assumes that society at large will recognize and affirm this behavior. Such a self is divine, defined by what is called expressive individualism. Right. And that kind of gets us to the next, I guess, step, if you will, on the way to sexual revolution. He says that you move from uh, the self and starting with a, a way of understanding and defining and living out the self, which then if you start in a bad place there, it leads you to expressive individualism, um, which we kind of just defined, that ultimately leads down the road to what we now would recognized to be sexual revolution, which we're seeing in the world around us. Uh, but what, what is expressive individualism? Um, so expressive individualism is this idea that each person has a unique core of feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if individuality is to be realized. So it's the answer to a question, well, how do you get fulfilled? Well, by asking myself what I want and then going and getting it. Mm-hmm. That's what expressive individualism is. And specifically, um, it's important here to see a turn that was taken in our culture that is not just a given. Um, because after we talk about being true to yourself, well, the self becomes sexualized. And one of the characters that we have not mentioned that's really important is Sigmund Freud, who contributes to this a lot, that says, well... What the self will want is some sort of sexual expression and that, that either that will be fulfilled or it will be frustrated, which is so foundational. Well, look, for thousands of years, it was taken as a given that a boy will be born, he will grow, he will become a man, he will get married, he will have a family of his own, Lord willing, and then those children will grow up in that home and that is the means by which they will find themselves and they will uh, seek to carry on. Well, the difference here is that, no, 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 there's a new project, which is you need to, one, reduce who you are to sexual feelings, not just feelings, but then sexual feelings. And those are the most important ones. Why? Move along. Uh, that, that, that question is, uh, is left because there's a whole lot of other feelings, um, but those are not questioned. And not only that, so your sexual feelings are the ones that you need to prioritize. 
And then you need to start asking questions about gender identity and sexual orientation and all of these things. When look, these are valid questions to ask. One, why are those feelings the only important ones? Mm -hmm. Two, are we sure that the most important thing in our life is to ask questions about gender identity and sexual orientation? Are you sure there is fulfillment down that road? If you are asking only yourself these questions and then going, well, I found an answer, so now I'm, I'm going to go and get what I want. Well, what if people aren't just some puzzle piece to fit into your life? What if they are a whole nother person with their own wants? And, and, and that is just a part of this that I, I think is left behind. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing for us to say is that, look, this, uh, these ideas have certainly infiltrated the church. I mean, I remember um, hearing a song years ago. And, and it's, I've, I've stood there uh, and been in weddings when this song is sung. When God made you, he must have been thinking about me. Uh, no, he wasn't. <laughs> um, I just don't think that that's what's going on there. <laughs> God is making people and going, you know, look, I'm, I'm made plenty of you to be married. I've made plenty of you to be single. Actually, this is a broken world. And really my goal for you to, is to be conformed to the image of my son who is alive, who is not being destroyed by sin and all of the spiritual destruction that's in the world. In fact, what I want to do is I want to give you life. Yeah. Uh, when God made my spouse, who I love dearly, I don't think he was thinking about me. I, I think he was happy to make her <laughs> yeah, and that, uh, that there's a whole line of discussion we could have about, uh, I'm sure you've talked with young people who are trying to figure out who to marry and what, how do, how do I know if this is the one? Look, if, if you make a commitment before the Lord, that's the one. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you don't that's have to ask any more questions. That's right. That's what I always tell someone like, oh, you know, I've had people ask me, how did you know, you know? Kaylee was the one, and I said, when she said yes. That's right. That's how I knew. Uh, it was not some, um, you know, oh, I don't know, something where I figured out that she's my soulmate. I didn't have tarot card readings and palm readings and uh, none of that nonsense. Nor did I even, you know, some people will do this. I didn't have any sign from heaven telling me uh, that this is the one God intended for me to marry. You know, some right. people want to um, over-spiritualize right. these kinds right. of things. Guess what? I desired to marry my wife, and she was willing, I don't know why, but <laughs> was willing to marry me uh, and commit herself to me as I committed myself to her, right. and then we got married, and that's how I knew she was the one. And now that we're married, she is the one, and uh, and we are bound to that. We are bound to one another in that commitment. Right, and and one, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we landed here for the moment because a lot of what we've talked about has felt kind of heady. And it is. These are deep questions and important questions, but these questions can become so practical in an instant. And in one way is, let me ask you a question. Who in your life do you seek fulfillment from the most? Like find my fulfillment yes. in? Oh, Christ. Right. Yeah. And that's a hugely important question because look, yeah. as marriage has transitioned from a means by which children are raised and a means by which two people can make a lifelong commitment to each other to a man and a woman can commit to each other for life as it's gone from that to a means of uh my fulfillment yeah this has put too big of a burden on marriages if if you're sitting there in and you think about your spouse as the person 
who has to fulfill your every desire. That's too heavy for them. Mm -hmm. They can't do it. And they weren't made to. Uh, God has to have the first place in our lives because he's the only one that can bear that to be first Mm -hmm. in our lives. He is ultimate. Um, Our spouse is there as a person to help and to walk with us in life. And and that's just a place where this is so intensely practical for, uh, because look, I mean, you get married and nobody knows what it's like ahead of time, but everybody's got expectations and has to know where to go with those expectations. And here's where you should go with those expectations. You should go to God Almighty and let him answer that. Because if that is too, I've seen it. I've seen people who are going, oh, I had a rough home life. Um, Things didn't go my way. I really got hurt, uh, and even it can go to things that, you know, break your heart about abuse and so many things. So it's like, so I want to have a great marriage. It's like, I want you to as well, but that marriage is not going to just solve all the issues you brought into it. In fact, if you bring all that and you just say, here, fix this, that your spouse can't do that and you shouldn't expect them to. Yeah. Um, you had to, you got to go to the Lord and, in in walking with him sort through that stuff. And yes, as a, as a help, your spouse can be a wonderful person, but that's, as can other Christian brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. your spouse foremost among them, but that's just too big a burden. And I see that a lot. I see that a lot in the church that people go, uh, well, this, uh, this person, you know, they're going to be perfect for me. So therefore our, our marriage is going to be perfect. And, and then there's this whole host of other things we could talk about. Well, I saved myself for marriage. I didn't have sex. So that's going to make my marriage wonderful. And it's like, listen, stop <laughs> with, stop with all of this. I made some deal with God. Now he has to give me, uh, God doesn't have to give you anything. Uh, God has already given us everything that we need in Christ. Any further stuff, you just got to stop with that. I, I've just seen a lot of it. I don't know if this is as heavy for you as it is for me. I haven't worked with young people for a long time, um, but I've just seen this a long time. And um, we should not put, what we do with marriage is a strange thing in the church in some ways, because we're not, we're not defining it from the Bible a lot of the time either. Right. We just have a different set of expectations. Right. Uh, whereas, I mean, sometimes in the world, marriage is just like, well, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing yeah. and there'll just be another person around. It's like, well, that's not it yeah. either. Uh, but there are different sets of expectations. To be clear, Jackson was not saying you shouldn't save yourself for marriage. That's right. You absolutely should. That's the Bible right. commands that we, that we should. But um, yeah, you're exactly right when you talk about marriage in this way. This is kind of the the way you see kind of a worldly understanding of the self and our culture's understanding of expressive individualism where, like you said, we each have kind of this uh, core inner person and figuring out what that person is and, and what we want, what are our desires and our innermost being and this and that, and then seeking to form our life around that to actualize those things when that seeps into your marriage, that's a recipe for a failed marriage right. if there ever was one. Because guess what? Uh, the moment that other person that you, you decide that, well, they are not helping me achieve my, uh, my proper uh, expression of my individuality and, and it's in opposition. I'm not being true to myself right. if I were to remain in this marriage. Well, yeah, that, that marriage is toast. And if you go into it with that kind of mentality, then it's toast from the beginning. Right. Um, that's that's not the way God has created us to operate, uh, where we think of people simply as commodities or right. tools to be used for us to find our ultimate self-expression. That is such a foolhardy way to live, whether in marriage or otherwise. Yep, yep, I agree. Um, you know, now that uh, we're going to really take a turn and get to more definite definitions, it really seems to me that 
while we're talking about kind of two ends, we're talking about pop culture and then we're talking about sort of philosophers or uh, those in the universities, it, it really is kind of a, a three-legged stool. Kind of the, There's a third leg to this that we haven't really mentioned, and that is new technologies, and especially new technologies as they relate to humans, to people, and how we interact. Um, foremost among them, and, and, and if you've read it all about changes in marriage, changes about the way men and women interact and this and that, uh, the birth control pill, we still live... Um, if you are still in living memory of people who did not have a certain technology, then we are still without a doubt in the experimental phase where we don't know all the ramifications of it. And so one, we don't still don't know all the ramifications of what it does to relationships when you introduce the birth control pill. And not only that, uh, obviously when you move on to technologies such as plastic surgery, hormone treatments, uh, where something that is, is mentioned in the book. Look, if you had gone to someone in the 1940s and said, uh, I am a man and I feel like uh, I am uh, actually a woman. Uh, I, I feel like a woman trapped in a man's body. Well, they would have said to you, we better uh, see what's wrong with your insides. They because would, they would say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, they, they would say, <laughs> yeah, that's not, there's something wrong you, in the way you're thinking of yourself. Yeah. And, and look, it's a big turn to be where we are now that if you go to a lot of medical centers now and you say, oh, I, I'm actually a woman, I'm just trapped in a man's body. And they go, well, let's see what we can do about that. And yeah. what they mean is hormone therapies and plastic surgery. Um, well, that's a dramatic shift. And, and really, this is a, a very easy place to put a point on it and say this book is exactly given to answer the question how do you go from point a where very clearly you would walk into a doctor's office and they would say oh well obviously we need to change your insides we need to change something about what you're thinking about yourself and the way you process about yourself to now where a lot in a lot of cases they will say well let's begin to work on your outsides and change what you're thinking about or change what is happening about you according to the way you think on the inside. Right. Uh, that's just a dramatic shift. And it is without a doubt, not obvious that that's right. That, that you just right. go, obviously, yeah, let's just, if your feelings are this today, and, and that is even the thing that is not admitted. Yeah. There are plenty of people who've come forward years later and said, I, I'm sorry at 20, I thought I was a man trapped in a woman's body. Now I think I was wrong. Yeah. And then, well, and they, yeah, sorry. It's a big problem. <laughs> yeah. And the even more sad thing is not only are there people coming out saying in my twenties, I thought that, but mm-hmm. in my, uh, 13, 14, 15s, uh, that age range, whenever I came out as this and the doctors helped me to quote unquote transition and went through gender affirming surgery, quote unquote, and, and all of these kinds of things, um, as a, as a child, as a, as a teenager, um, these people that we don't even allow to make decisions regarding getting a tattoo, and yet they are allowed to now at the point we've come to where the inner self is so supreme, and in order to live authentically, uh, you must seek to, you know, make everything externally match what you feel internally has led us to this point where now we are allowing even people at a very young age to go through these dramatic right. and, and devastating changes uh, being done to them outwardly to reflect what they feel inwardly. And it's just, 
you can see the, like you said, the direct line from how we get to, okay, let's, how do we understand the self to this point where we are today? Right. So let's get to some more, uh, definitions. I mean, uh, this this question about the real me, we've already referred to it a lot, but I thought there were just some really powerful, helpful questions in this book. Okay, where's the real me to be found? And how's that going to shape my view of life? Uh, how should I, how will I be fulfilled or satisfied based upon this proposal of who the real me is? And based upon that, what's my obligation to and dependence upon others? Why should I be educated? What good is it? And, and these are questions that are very on the ground valid. Uh, young people are asking you keep telling me to go to school. And, and I think that some of this stuff is lost in economics. Well, they, they seem unsatisfied with the amount of money they're making in their job. It's like, I think it's going way beyond that. They're asking basic questions about why should I care about anyone else? Why should I care about getting a job to, like, to help my community? And that is a base philosophical question that is worth asking. Mm-hmm. Um, how, will, how will I find myself in the community? Why should I care to serve others? Um, why grow up or what does growing up mean in, in one instance, growing up means I should learn to control my feelings and act with restraint and sacrifice them for my community. Or is growing up just learning to express myself, Mm -hmm. learning how to be louder, learning how to very, uh, in a sneaky way, get it, get what I want. Uh, what, what does it mean to mature? And those are two diff- very different visions of maturing. Yeah. So then, uh, down here, the, there's more talk about, and, and I was thinking so much as uh, we're reading this chapter about uh, authenticity, because we all, yeah. you, you can't walk around <laughs> and talk to people without talking about authenticity, yeah. which also is often a given that, yeah. oh, yeah, we should all seek that. But what do you think we mean by that? Yeah, I don't think most people who use the word know what they mean. This is a church, this is a word that's even popular among um, church culture. I think it was more popular maybe a few years ago, but I, I think to even still today you hear people talking about, oh, we want our worship to be authentic. Right, oh, we right, want right. what we do as as a church to be authentic. I want my Christianity to be authentic. And okay, well, what do you mean by that? You know, if you mean by authentic that it's an outward expression of your inner self. Well, then I, I might not agree with that <laughs> assessment that you want it to be authentic. But um, I don't think most people have really thought about what it means to be authentic. What, it, what is your, you're considering to be kind of your worship, this or that? Um, what is it being authentic to? Right. Right. That's the question. Right. And again, this is helpful because I do think that this phrase is often what we mean by that. Uh, one position on what it means to be authentic is are you then just trying to find out what your feelings are and then act on them? Is that all authenticity is? And frankly, I kind of go, wow, I think that is sort of what is at the root of a lot of the discussion that I have had and I have listened to. And if that's all that, man, I want better questions than that. The world is more complicated than just what do I feel like doing or having and can I get it? Uh, there, there are just more important questions to be asked than that. But I feel like uh, one thing that's happened with a lot of this is these words and phrases are vague enough that we can go, oh, yeah, I do want to be authentic. It's like, okay, but what, what do you even mean by that? Yeah. Uh, because if it's more than 
your feelings, then I might be able to get on board with that. I don't, neither I nor thankfully God Almighty is walking around going, man, I love to just squash people's desires and feelings. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not what he's about. Yeah. But he certainly does want more than for us to just walk around kind of going, you feel like Jolly Ranchers? Jolly Ranchers morning, afternoon, evening. Yeah. You know, <laughs> tomorrow, if you feel like just eating hot peanuts, hot peanuts, nothing but it. Take them to bed. <laughs> you know, it's like, as, as a person, thankfully, I mean, both of us have small children, but look, small children, they want a lot of things and it's uh, not always sensible. And, you know, look, uh, a part of the Christian position is, what if we don't know all of what's good for us? Because I don't think we do. And I think there's plenty of evidence that we don't necessarily know all that's of what's good for us. Yeah. And if authenticity is just, I want to find out some of my feelings and then act on them and then everybody else can just take a walk. Well, I, I'm not interested <laughs> in that uh, sort of lifestyle. Um, but this was helpful to kind of ask further questions of this idea of authenticity. Yeah. Have you, have you seen, I think there's a, I don't know if it's on Netflix or um, where, where it is, but there was this movie that was recently released called Yes Day. Okay. Um, the, the premise behind the movie, and I think I've seen people do this even on like YouTube. I think I saw a video where I first saw it, where um, the idea is you, for a whole day, you say yes to every single one of your children's requests. Yeah. You don't turn any of them down. You don't say you, no is not allowed. You're not allowed to say no. Uh, you have to say yes to everything that they request and that they want to yeah. do and that they ask for. And it's, it's, you know, kind of pushed as this, oh, it's so freeing. It's so, you know, there's so much joy that comes, but it's yeah. good for them. It's good for you and, and this and that. But if you think about it, and especially if you're a parent, if you think about it for, for more than two seconds, you'll realize that that has very limited scope if you want your child to grow into anything that is right. a functioning adult human being. Uh, because guess what? Life is more than just getting whatever you want. And we all know full well, I can tell you right now with, with my sons who, uh, who I love very much, uh, it would be very awful of me and hateful of me to say yes to every single one of their whims and desires. Right. You know why? Their teeth would be rotted out of their head because they ate nothing but gummy worms and, and chocolate and their uh, eyes would be rotted out of their head because they would do nothing but sit in front of the TV. Um, it just wouldn't be good for them. Right. It would not at all be good for them. And so, but this is yet what we want to do as adults. We want everything around us to be conformed to our whims uh, and our feelings live so that we can live out our authentic selves. Right. Right. And I mean, there are all kinds of issues with that. Uh, you know, your kids want to go throw a bouncy ball in the expressway. It's like, you know, that I'm not doing that on yesterday. I'm not doing that any other day. But the part of this that I, I think is the clearest is just, here's what's glorious. If, if you set God as your highest good, then both you and your kids will share the highest good. And it, it is a recipe for harmony in life. But meanwhile, one of the strange things that's happening in the world at large, not to mention in our, our culture, is people aren't having kids. Because kids are seen as nothing but a burden. But look, if, if you look at this from God's perspective and you go, look, if, if my good is what God has in mind and my children's good, then we're all on the same plan here and we share life together, then it, it does harmonize. And one, I mean, this is just one issue that is going very badly in various corners of the world. Uh, the only place where birth rates are rising and even at... Uh, 
levels high enough to reproduce the people who die off are in places like Africa, mm-hmm. in places like uh, parts of Asia, uh, Middle East, right? Yeah. Western cultures, and not only Western cultures, uh, plenty of Eastern cultures like Japan, the birth rate is, is plummeted, mm-hmm. and this is a big problem. Uh, there, there are just some fundamental problems, and so, uh, so in regard to that, it's kind of one of those. Uh, that's not the answer. Now, look, do fun things with your kids. You just don't have to make up, you know, some sort of strange, completely upside down world idea for it. Right. You know, like right. guess what? When, when my when my boys say, "Hey, I'd like to go outside and throw a frisbee," oh, I'll, I'll usually say yes to that. I right. Think that's that's good for them. The the idea is not smash every one of their desires and dreams, like you said. Neither <laughs> God nor us as parents walk around wanting to do that. But yet we understand that to to truly bring about what is uh, best for them is not to give in to every one of those. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the argument here is not that feelings have no place in our lives, but it is that letting some feelings dominate and guide and control us can lead to some very bad outcomes. Right. That was said in this book, and that is very helpful. Uh, your feelings have to be questioned, mm-hmm. not obeyed. Right. Uh, that is what we are about. You, if you're a Christian, you take every ca- thought captive to Christ. Um, but feelings are not good guidebooks. They, they're not, if you compare this to like a driving down the road, they're not even good signs. Right. They, they, your feelings are all over the place. Uh, and, and they are not guides at all. I mean, um, it's funny to think this could be like a, some sort of cartoon movie. You know, they have movies like Inside Out where feelings are represented in various ways, but our feelings as sort of things that are with us on the road would be hilarious because it's just like sometimes your feelings would just basically be you take off and you kind of go, I don't feel like doing this. So then you just sit there. Yeah. It's like, well, we've really accomplished something here. I don't feel like doing what I'm about to do. So I stopped and here we are. I mean, it doesn't work that way. Right. Uh, So then moving then uh, as we are uh, from kind of this, Continue questioning of, okay, what is the self? What is the real me? Ideas of authenticity. Uh, let's get a definite definition for the sexual revolution. What is the sexual revolution then? Yeah, so to start with, I, I'd say we can easily see. So you go from understanding the self. If you do that poorly, it leads to expressive individualism, uh, which is kind of taking this core feeling, intuition, uh, and making it expressed in individuality, making that realized and then when you begin to understand and, and you see what we see around us that, okay, when I look inward and purely to myself and try and actualize that, turns out um, that leads to a lot of things that are regards, regards to sexuality and, uh, and, you know, my sexual desires, whether they be in line with what is, you know, found to be the cultural norm or not, this is my desire and therefore I ought to be able to live that out. That leads us to the, the sexual revolution uh, the definition he, give, he gives in the book for sexual revolution is what was once associated with stigma and shame is now expected to be celebrated from sex outside of marriage to homosexuality to pornography and beyond. Um, and that's exactly what we see happening in the world around us. Dr. Moeller on the briefing talks about um, a, a revolution and kind of the steps of it. And I'm probably not going to get this exactly right, but basically what was 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 at first stigmatized or or unaccepted 
becomes accepted, right. and what's accepted becomes celebrated, and what's uh, celebrated then becomes required, and any opposition becomes right. put down. Right, right. Um, is essentially the yeah, that's the, it. The process of a revolu- revolution, and we see that happening in the culture with regards to sex and human sexuality and things like that. Right, and and then you can see uh, kind of the revolution from the bottom side would be what used to be. Uh, accepted was marriage between a man and a woman and that moves to being questioned which moves then to being uh condemned as the only possible expression uh and and then that moves to condemning anyone who doesn't agree Mm -hmm. with new expressions Mm -hmm. um and so kind of two ways you can approach uh thinking about the sexual revolution that way and and it's not i mean uh, one clarification point that I thought was helpful. Um, we're not just dealing with a broadening of the ideas around, say, sex, for instance. Right. Um, one of the things that needs to be noticed is that the end goal is the questioning of any need for what is acceptable behavior in sexual conduct. Right. The, the, I, I have not seen anywhere a clear set of, well, here are what will eventually be the new guidelines. Yeah. Uh, because this is a moving target, and that's one of the strengths of it and why it's taken so long for a lot of people to say, I don't think this is going to make any sense. I don't yeah. think this is workable. When you don't name your ends right. and you just kind of go, well, just trust me. We're going to change it, and we'll come up with something better. Yeah. Well, uh, there is a lot of trust there, um, but I would love to know what the better thing is. Yeah. If this is a really good plan, there would be an actual better thing that's an end result, but we don't have one. And uh, as a result, I, this is not a trustworthy revolution. Right. That's why that you hear so much talk about destigmatizing things. Right. Like everything is is seeking to be destigmatized. Well, well, here's the thing, and the question that no one is really asking, and uh, you will be kind of ostracized if you begin asking these kinds of questions, but uh, have we ever considered whether or not stigma could be a good thing? Whether or not stigma should be removed on some of these things? Maybe some of these things, yes, but that's a maybe. Um, By and large, a lot of this whole remove stigmas around these things is a bad thing because it is, with the, the phrase removing stigmas, is taking any sort of sexual boundaries um, limitations and not just, like you said, not just expanding them out, but eliminating them altogether. Right. No boundaries at all. That is what destigmatization, um, you know, destigmatizing these things actually is. It's just the removal of any sort of um, set boundary line with regards to uh, what is right, what is wrong, what is acceptable. Right. And that gets to the basis of why does morality exist uh, in cultures? It is because uh, there is a good of the community. Yeah. Uh, and you better be really clear on what the good or the goods are for that community because then what you want to do is you want to reward things that benefit the community and you want to punish things that are harmful to the community. We, it would be a happier moment if I could say, ah, here is the position on community of the expressive individualist. By definition, the expressive individualist does not have a position on community. Right. The expressive individualist has decided other people are either in line with what I want or it's unfortunate that they're existing. Yeah. Uh, that there's kind of two 
two ways forward. If you are just really going down the route of expressive individualism, then it's look, right. people are either help uh, helpful to my quest and my goals, or I would just prefer that they didn't exist. Right. That is, that is the philosophy at its heart. Yeah. And that is the greatest weakness of it is there is no vision of community and there is no vision for really other minds, other people having a place beyond do they fit into my desires? Do they fit into my hopes and dreams and uh, plans for my life? Right. It's, it's like I said earlier, uh, when you come to this sort of point of expressive individualism, uh, everyone around you, the, the people around you in society uh, become tools for right. you to, to use right. to your ends. And if they refuse to be tools to be used to your ends and they become obstacles that need to be removed. Right. And the problems sitting here reading this, some of the problems that we're dealing with become so much more apparent um, because look, if you tell someone what matters most in this world is if you've gotten what you wanted and if you haven't, then boy, you've been mistreated. This is a recipe for things like um, mass shootings. Yeah. Uh, if you peddle a story that what your world is, it ought to be a place where things go your way. And you then, uh, what, what people are in terms of feelings are bundles of feelings that don't necessarily go together, mm -hmm. especially young people. As somebody who's worked with young people for a long time, that is what it is to be a young person, is to have lots and lots of feelings that often don't go together. And that's why it's so hard. Uh, and, and I mean, anyone who is a parent, uh, you know that there's so much going on inside of this young person that you care about, but you can't pull that out of them. Uh, it, it's, it's something that you have to deal with as a young person. And thankfully we can communicate, well, look, a lot of this will get better. <laughs> there won't be quite so many feelings. Mm -hmm. um, and so this burden is in a lot of ways, the hardest on young people mm -hmm. who, in addition to having all those feelings, then they're, if they are told there's nothing but those feelings, Oh, that's just too much of a burden. Yeah. That is, that is not helpful to them. That is so harmful because the reality is no, there, there is much more to this life than feelings and they need to know that right. uh, it is hopeless. I mean, in a lot of ways that's it's right. hopeless. If that's all right. there is is feelings, when you're a young person, you are at limited capability to dealing with those feelings and your feelings feel like you're in the middle of the ocean often and just waves are just rolling over you. We have to tell them that there's more to all of this than feelings because they need it. They need more than feelings. And thankfully, it's true. We're not just telling them some story to make them feel better. It's true. Right. There is more to life than just whatever you might be feeling today. Right. Yeah, this is the very reason we tell people as pastors that like, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are trusting in Him for your salvation, if His righteousness is the basis for why you uh, are able to stand before God on the day of judgment, um, then then whether or not you feel a certain way right. is irrelevant to right. your justification before God. Right. Your justification before God is an established thing based on jesus christ right. and his finished work on the cross his righteousness granted to us and that's good news it's good news that right. our feelings right. are not the basis for our salvation because 
frankly, there's many days that I, as a pastor, don't feel all that great. Right. I don't feel all that close to God. I don't necessarily feel like a Christian or like I think a Christian ought to feel, sure. right? Yep. Um, but that's not the the basis for whether or not I'm a Christian. Right. And I mean, you read the Psalms and you find that the people who are close to God don't always feel close to God. This is yeah. one of those things that we are given the Bible specifically to know. Yeah. And though it's, it's very hard. I mean, look, I want our feelings. One of the things we hope for in the kingdom of heaven is that you will be made right inside and out. That physical death will be defeated, but spiritual death will be defeated. That is an incredible hope. But this is exactly the kind of stuff we're given the Bible to know because this is hopeful, whereas this is a path to despair, to look at life and to go, well, look, I hope you were given immense giftedness, self-knowledge. I hope that you're not damaged emotionally because if you, if you have everything together and a lot of talent, then you could probably get a lot of what you want. That is only hopeful for very few people in this world. That is, that is not good news for most of us. It certainly would not have been good news for me to just go, look, if you've got everything together, if everything's working for you, then, man, you better turn it on and impress everybody because that's, that's your only hope. That's the, that's the story we're often peddling to people. And that is, A, that's not the Christian story. B, the Christian story is, no, you matter no matter who you are. And you can find your hope in Christ who can then care for your needs mm -hmm. and that you can be made right with him by an outside righteousness, outside of yourself. It's not about your own works. That's incredible. That yeah. is so much better. But if nothing else, I just encourage everyone to ask, ask what story is being told out there. Yeah. Because that first story is very common. Look, you better hope you're talented. You better hope you can marshal that talent to get attention. Because if you get attention, man, you'll be doing great. Man, that's just not working. There's a whole lot of people that's just not really working very well that's for. Right. Yeah. And what do you do then? What? Yeah. If if that's true, if that's true, look, some truths are hard. If that's true, then let's go for it. I just don't think it's true. Yeah. I don't, I, <laughs> thankfully, there is a better world than that, and that's wonderful. I'm so thankful that there's a better world than yeah. that. Yep. That's why I would tell anyone, uh, don't pursue feelings, pursue Christ. Right. Because your feelings will always let you down, but Christ never will. Right. And and um. And there's just a few more notes here, but this this is so clear uh, as I as I think about it. His thesis is expressive individualism is the default setting for understanding ourselves in the 21st century. And I think about the little town where I grew up, that the the desire is well, you want to be impressive, you want to find out what gains you social capital, and you want to go after it, and wherever anybody has grown up and whatever you've ended up in as you've become an adult, there's all these ladders that you can try to climb. Okay, but what if at the top of every one of those ladders, there's not fulfillment? What do you do then? And that's a story that's being told every day and we're not asking enough questions about that. Yeah, we're right. looking around going, I guess I was wrong and everybody else is fulfilled by this ladder and I'm not. No, no, no. What if everybody else is kind of faking it? Yeah. <laughs> what if a lot yeah. of people are just kind of faking it going, I guess this wasn't that fulfilling, but I don't know. I, I guess you fake it till you make it, you know, or yeah. it, it's out there. It's going That's on. Right. Yeah. You see unfortunate glimpses of that in moments like, um, when, you know, someone like Robin Williams takes his own life right? and you realize, man, this guy had every reason to right. be fulfilled. 
um, he was living his authentic life, right? And, uh, and he was reaping the benefits of that. And yet, what do we see is that ultimately that left him unsatisfied. Right. Yeah. Um, last definition, we've already mentioned it, but it, it's helpful to define it. The social imaginary is the way ordinary people imagine their social surroundings as is usually carried in images, stories, legends, etc. Um, it is also the case that theory uh, is often the possession of a small minority so that you have this general way that people sort through this stuff, but then there are people in the universities like we've talked about that, that have sort of the, the big theory, the comprehensive theory, uh, whereas this is often shared by groups of people. Uh, the, these ideas trickle down uh, to places like, I mean, I can tell you one of the places I know where a lot of people got it from is uh, Star Wars. What do your feelings tell you? <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and I, and, and what's so funny about this is, is since they're not meaning to, it's not as if some of these stories do it on purpose. Like I remember, uh, Star Wars episode one. Do you remember when, whatever it is? Yes. An- I remember. Anakin says, uh, it's to his mom. Will I ever see you again? And she says, well, what does your heart tell you? And he goes, yes. I guess. And I feel it. I mean, I, re- I remember hearing that. I was like, thank you very much. Because what, what in the world? How, Thanks, Anakin. Yeah, like, that's exactly right. Like, what do we know? You know, it's not like in this world we, we're parting with people and, and we say, hey, you know, take care. I'll really miss you. Will I see you again? Well, what is your feeling? I mean, we would hopefully say to each other, like, it doesn't think it matter what your feelings tell you. We don't know. I wasn't asking my feelings. I was asking you. Right. So uh, I, I got that originally. Uh, Star Wars was one of the cells for, you know, what do your feelings tell you? And this is in all kinds of places, but that's just a funny, uh, a funny way where it was certainly presented. Yeah. Well, this is, uh, this is the introduction. This, this is kind of what we're going to be dealing with. Uh, this goes back a long way. The, this, the seeds for this were actually s- sown in the Victorian era. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, about Queen Victoria, strict moral standards. And so we're going to look at that next time uh, in, in an era where a lot of us, I think, would look at it and go, well, wow, they just really were tight on morality, uh, keeping an eye on, on everything. Uh, we'll begin to look at how this began there next time, and uh, I look forward to that. Yeah, yeah, same. Well, thank you everyone for listening. I hope this looks something that it looks like something that you want to know more about. We want to talk about this uh, for a while. It is absolutely engaging to me because I can see uh, that in, in myself and the people that I love, a lot of these ideas have already taken hold. Uh, and, and they're ones that, look, I want to sort out what is true and what is false about what, what we're dealing with. And, and so this book will be, I hope, a g- good way to do that. Yeah, so we'll be probably be going through this book for the next, like we said, maybe four sessions. Um, we'll see, give or take. Um, so if if this today has been incredibly boring to you, you can just skip over the next few weeks. You might not enjoy them. But if you found this to be interesting, worthwhile, uh, then yeah, tune back in. Uh, we'll continue with this kind of discussion um, over the next few weeks. Yes. So this has been Empires of the Future. And we will see you in the future. <laughs> <laughs>